Amen. Welcome to the home of the fearless. My name is Pastor Maridi Wanjao, also known as Pastor M. I'm the senior pastor of Mavuno Church, where we turn ordinary people into fearless influencers of society. And I'm excited this morning or this afternoon, this evening, wherever you are in the world, to be bringing God's Word to you today. And I want to start with a question. What is one thing that when you see it, it tells you that someone is financially successful? What is something that when you see somebody and you're like, man, that one has made it. Like you look at them and it's like that look just tells you this person is successful. If you're, if you're, I want you to just keep that in your mind. I mean, just, just put a picture in your mind of a successful person. What is it about a person that when you meet them, you're like, this one is successful. And I'm going to come back to that. I want you to keep that picture in your mind because we're going through an important series right now. It's called When the Going Gets Tough. Financial principles for thriving in uncertain times. And we're studying some basic kingdom finance principles that if you leave them out, you are guaranteed that you will thrive in these uncertain times. And we've looked at the ownership principle. That was the first one. We said that's a foundation, that everything I own belongs to God. We put it this way. We said he owns it, I manage it. And that's a key. By the way, we said that's a key to a fear-free, focused, and fruitful life. If you want to live a life where you're fear-free, you're focused, you're fruitful in everything you do, then you need to understand this principle and live it out. The second principle we talked about last week was the entrepreneurship principle, which rests on the fact that we were created to be creators. We're created to solve problems. And we say this, we say, don't look for a job. Look for problems to solve for people. And we, and, and we learned how, we, uh, if we want to become entrepreneurs, what we were created to be, like God, then we, we must be people of excellence. We must be people who are lifelong learners. And we have to have wise friendships. Now, if you missed any of these important messages, uh, you can listen to them off our YouTube page or find my, my, uh, my, my, my podcast and check those out because I think it's very, very important that you catch up on some of these important things. Now, today we want to look at the third core principle, the kingdom principle of finance, which I'm going to call the retention principle. And I want us to turn one more, once more to Luke chapter 19, verse 11 to 27. We're going to be reading this passage. And this is a passage that we say is our main text. And uh, it's called the, the parable of the minas. And you know what? This, this, this is a story that uh, Jesus, when he told it, was actually referring to events that people were, were familiar with. Uh, so, so let me give you a little background. You see, the way the Romans ruled back then, uh, they, they ruled through local uh, leaders. So when they colonized a country like Judah, they had local leaders that they turned over and these guys became like home guards. They became like the people who are in charge and they put them in charge of their own people. In the time of Jesus' birth, their local ruler was called Herod the Great. And Herod, you remember the story? I mean, he's, he's this guy who was uh, the king when Jesus was born. But by the time Jesus was an adult, Herod had died the Romans had broken up the nation into uh, three territories and they were ruled by three different sons of Herod. And here's the thing, before any of them could become king, the way, it, the, way the kingdom was passed on, they had to go to Rome and to be officially appointed by the Roman emperor. So, so this was a historic fact. Each of these guys left their country. They left as just a citizen. They went to Rome. When, the, uh, when, when Caesar, the, the Roman emperor, uh, liked them, and decided you're the guy. So they all became appointed and they came back as kings back to their territory. One of the first, one of the sons, the, 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 the main son was called Achelaus. One of, one of the big guys was called Achelaus. He's actually the one who took over from Herod first. But he was such a bad ruler 
that the Jews themselves sent a delegation to Rome to appeal for him to be fired. <laughs> and so he was removed. And a Roman governor was appointed in his place. That's a, they put a Roman governor. They say, this guy can't even, they can't even rule this, this place called Judah. And so they put a Roman governor. And by the time of Jesus' death, the name of that Roman governor was Pontius Pilate. Come on, somebody was reading their Bible over Easter. And, and I just want to help you with this little history so that you understand when Jesus is teaching, he's not just coming up with stories from thin air. He's actually using current events to create stories to teach about God's kingdom. So let's read this together now that you have that kind of understanding. While they were listening to this, verse 11, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And he said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. And so he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him. And they sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Can you see the, uh, the allusions there? And then he was made a king, however, and he returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. Now we're going to skip to the end. We'll, we'll read the rest of the story next week, but I want to skip to the end to verse 26. And here's what it says. It says, he replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those servants of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So, so as you read this passage, how many servants did the master entrust his money to? Ten, right? Yeah, there are ten servants. And for those of you who know the story, how many reported back about how they used the money? Only three. So what happened to the other seven? Like, have you ever asked yourself that? How come this story doesn't even talk about them showing up, bothering to show up to give a report? It seems to me that these seven silent servants, they were completely indifferent to the master's wishes. They squandered all the money that they had been entrusted with. They spent it on themselves. They were hoping the master wouldn't come back. <laughs> they were hoping that they would, they, in fact, they decided to, instead of doing what he had asked them to do, they would do what they wanted to do. Now, let me ask, if you give someone money, and, uh, to, and you ask them to do something, and it's your money, and then they do something completely opposite. What does that tell you about that person? It tells you, number one, they can't be trusted, right? And number two, they are probably not your friend. And, and that's exactly what this master concluded. We're told that he had subjects who didn't want him to be king. They didn't think he deserved to be king. And he immediately knew from their actions that these seven were among them. That these were some of the people who did not want him to be king. And I believe that the verse 27, what he says happens to those seven servants. He says, but for those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king, they don't think I deserve to be their king, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Their destiny, their, they have deserved to die. As a king, he couldn't uh, broker that kind of opposition. And here's the one thing I want to learn from this. I want us to learn from this passage. How we deal with money is very spiritual. You know, sometimes when we do a money series, some people say, okay, now we are doing the money stuff. We have moved, out from the, we have, we have moved away from spiritual things like prayer and fasting and other things that are really spiritual, and we've moved to more secular things. But you know what? How you deal with your money is very spiritual. <laughs> it's an indicator of how aligned your heart is to God. <laughs> and that's why Jesus taught about money so much. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart also will be. What is your expenditure saying about you today and about your relationship with God, your status as God's friend? You know, you could be in church lifting up your hands and saying, we lift you up, we lift you up. 
But how you spent money last week actually says whether you're God's friend or whether you're God's enemy. I mean, this stuff is, this is serious stuff. This is spiritual stuff we're talking about. You see, we live in a consumer culture. And the message around us every day is spend, spend, spend. The mentality of our generation is I want it and I want it now. And that's what we call a consumer mentality. A consumer mentality means that our standard of living always goes up whenever we get an increase in our profits or in our wages. A consumer mentality means that many times we're living in houses we can't afford in our current income. We're wearing clothes we can't afford. We're using gadgets we shouldn't be using. I mean, you're, you're, you're barely making it and yet you have an iPhone. What's the latest one? It's like you've got a 14 and you're walking around with it and it's like, how do you, how do you have that phone? We're wearing clothes. We're using gadgets. We're driving cars. We're taking our kids to schools that we have no business taking them to. And, and the worst thing, and let me just say this, guys. I hope you don't forgive me for saying this in advance. The worst thing is how Christians tend to spiritualize consumerism. We call it living by faith. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, a child of, I'm a child of the king. I must live like one. How will they know? Uh-huh. I, know, I know I don't have money right now, but I'm trusting God. By the end of this month, money will miraculously appear. I, and I don't want to offend anyone because I know there are many, many, many Christians who live this way. But the result of this kind of living is that you end up squandering what God has put in your hands. And you're left with nothing to multiply, nothing to invest for His purposes. And people, that is not living by faith. That is actually proving yourself to be God's enemy. Because a consumer mentality makes us God's enemies. It makes us God's enemies. I'm sorry, I know this is a bit violent this morning. But it's the truth. That's what the scripture says. And, and, and that's why the third key kingdom finance principle is a retention principle. It's a retention principle. The retention principle says that I must retain a portion of whatever income I get. Whether it's your salary, whether you're a student, you're on, on pocket money or allowance, whether it's your business income, whichever way you get money, I must retain a portion of what comes in in order to invest it and grow it. And if I want to actually be a good steward of God's resources, I must uh, retain at least 20% of my income. Remember, a consumer mentality makes me God's enemy. But, but somebody asked me, what if, what if I don't earn very much? I'm earning, I'm barely earning enough to survive. Now you're asking me to take aside 20% and, and, and to invest that. What do I do? How do I even survive? I asked this question to Rina Karina, uh, who's a member of Mavuno, and she's a financial trainer. And, and she said something very powerful. She had actually done a video that's really powerful. And this is what she had to say. Hey there, I was um, thinking about a question that somebody asked me concerning saving because they were so irritated that I said the minimum you should save is, and invest is about 20%, minimum 20% of what you earn. So this person was like, okay, Sawa, just break down for me 100,000 Kenya shillings. What would that look like given the number of obligations I have, the taxes I have to pay, what does that look like? So I've, I've taken that... Um, question and done a bit of math so with a hundred thousand shillings the first thing you'll pay is tax pay pay as you earn and actually when you take the relief and all of that it ends up being a tax of 22,596.25 leaving you with 77,403 and then that's when I think you need to take out your savings which is 20% and 20% of that is 20% of 100,000 is 20,000 shillings. So that, that leaves you with 57,403. All right, so 
Now you have 57,000 from your 100,000. But you've not yet given or tithe. So then we tithe. And the tithe is 10,000 shillings. Yeah, you tithe on gross rate. So then you are left with how much? 47. So you had a wrong figure here. 47,403. And then there's an HIF, an SSF. In fact, I should have taken those out earlier. It's about 1,900 shillings. So that leaves you with 45,503. So you have 45,503 to then now spend on other things. So your other things are transport, which maybe you spend 3,5 if you use public transport. If you use a car, maybe that's 10,000 a month. You know, so let's assume you use public transport and so you would spend 3,000 there. Then your food, maybe 8,000. Then your rent, maybe 18,000. So this helps you to see with 45,000 shillings, ideally, where should I be living, right? So that then I, I save on rent, I save on transport, um, you know, buy food from the market, your groceries from the market, as opposed to from the supermarket where it's slightly more expensive. Um, and then there's a leg, there's water, there's your phone bill, there's entertainment, there's clothing that you need to buy every odd month. And so given all those other expenses, you actually only have 45,000 out of your 100,000 to spend. So it's, even when we say 20%, you, it's actually 20% of gross, yes, but there's tax and other obligations that you have that are statutory deductions that you can do nothing about that then gives you a picture of how much you should be spending. And the point is, it is possible. The key thing is not to live where we cannot afford, and this is how you actually determine what you can afford. By taking out your saving, taking out your tithe, taking out your rent, I mean uh, your um, taxes, your tax figures, then you know, okay, this is how much I actually have left to spend, and so therefore I can't pay rent of 50k. Even if I earn 100k, I should be paying rent of less than 20,000 shillings, so that then I have money to do other things with. Hope that makes sense to the person who asked me that question. Um, in fact, I read somewhere that if you want to save meaningfully, you should be saving 30%. So 20% is not that much, um, given where you want to go and ensure that you have a good retirement when you do retire. Uh, I'm reminded of a statement that was made by the, the CEO of the uh, uh, RBA, uh, that's the Retirement Benefits Authority in Kenya. And he said that, where we are right now, 80% of Kenyans are retiring poor. Retiring poor. And it's because we're not saving and investing for our future. So it might be painful now, but it's okay, guys. Let's just make sure that we set ourselves up for a great future. Wow. <laughs> so I've said it before, and Rina says it's so amazingly. If you're in that place where you're just breaking even financially, or maybe even living in debt every month. You need to make a radical decision. I, I, I always say COVID, and I've said this before, COVID was a great wake-up call for many. I know many people who, decide, when they lost income because of they were, in, or they were getting gigs every month, they were making just enough to, to succeed, and then they lost income, and then they had to move up country, or they had to move to another place where it was cheaper, and they were spending a lot less than before. And then they realized how happy they were that they don't have the stresses and the, the pressure that they had before uh, with the lifestyle that they had before. Listen, downgrading to a smaller house or selling your car and using public transport, these things won't kill you. They won't. They might even leave you a lot happier. And, and, and you've heard me say this, that my wife and I, we li we've lived on one salary uh, all our lives, pretty much, all our married lives. We lived on one and we used the other to invest and to give, which meant that we always had more than enough available. 
And it's partially why I was able to step off uh, Mavuno's payroll and, and to serve as a full-time volunteer in the church because of the investments we made as a young couple. Uh, we've always saved a lot less than 20, a, a lot more than 20% of our income. I know I, I say 20% is a good goal and, and Rina says that. We've always saved a lot more than that. And last year we challenged everyone in this church who calls Mavuno their home church to consider putting together an emergency fund of at least three months expenses. Uh, equivalent to three months of your expenses, although six months would actually be even better. And the only way to do that is to begin to put aside 20% of your income every month. Now, let me say this. I've preached this before. Some of you already know these things, but the challenge many times is not knowing it, it's applying it. So I want to give you a few tips to help you uh, as you apply this principle, the retention principle. And I hope that they'll help you uh, succeed as you set, set out to, to apply this principle. So a couple of, of, of tips, several tips. Number one, Pay yourself first. Pay yourself first. When, you, when, when it's the end of the month, you've worked hard, you've slogged, and then you buy yourself a nice pair of shoes at the end of the month, who have you just paid? Not yourself. <laughs> Not yourself. You've paid the shoe guy. You've paid the person who owns a shoe shop. Uh, the owner of that shop has made money that they can use to achieve their purpose and to educate their children and to, make, and to do big things with that money. And, and I'm not saying you don't need shoes. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I know you need shoes. All I'm saying is that the only money you pay yourself is the money that you save. What you retain is what you've paid yourself. And every farmer will tell you, if, you're, if you consume all your seed at the end of the season, all the seed that you harvest, you consume it, and you leave nothing else to plant, you're a foolish farmer. Uh, every farmer will tell you that. And so, like Rina said, pay the most important person first. The most critical people are God first and then me. I pay myself after that. And remember, the money in your savings account does not belong to you. It actually belongs to the future you and to your family and to your children. It's your children's education fund. It's your retirement fund. It's what will happen. It's what you'll use when you're no longer earning a salary. And so, when there's a need somewhere else, you can genuinely say, I don't have money. Because you don't have money. That money is for your children. It's not money for you to dip into. And, and so here's a tip. Don't put that money where you can withdraw it in a few minutes. Don't put it in a place where you just use an app and you can use it when you see a sale sign and you get tempted. Put it somewhere where it's hard for you to get it and it'll take you a bit of, money, of time to get it back. Uh, make, make sure there are obstacles in getting that money accessible. Uh, and, and I love Solomon's words. He says in Proverbs 13, 11, King Solomon, dishonest money dwindles away. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. That's Proverbs 13, 11. Whoever gathers money, little by little. And, and, and I want to move to the second uh, tip then. It's a, it is don't live to impress others. Don't live to impress others. You know, sometimes the thing that makes it so hard to live out the retention principle is the people we surround ourselves with. Let me tell you, if you hang around with people who are always impressed by big cars and nice gadgets, they're always talking about the latest gadget, they're always talking about flashy business deals. They're so impressed by people who have those things. You will find yourself working hard to keep up. If all your friends have iPhone 14 and you're the only one with Kabambe, what, I don't know what you call it in your country, that little, you're the only one who doesn't have a nice phone, you will find that you don't fit in and you find yourself working to keep up. You need to stay true to your convictions regardless of what other people think. Not all well-dressed people are wealthy. Here's something you need to understand. Not all people who are looking wealthy, who have nice expensive colognes, they're not wealthy. Many are living paycheck to paycheck and looking impressive. Looking very impressive. And, and, and you know, I mean, it's, it's almost that thing of, you know, fake it till you make it. That's their saying. I like to say that's a horrible saying. If, my saying is, if you need to live like no one else today if you want to live 
to be like no one else tomorrow. You, you, need to, you need to live like no one else. Forget faking it. Forget trying to fit in. Remember, debt is not your friend. If you can't afford it right now, then it's not for you right now. That's, that's basically what it, it means for you to avoid the consumer mentality. Pray about it. If you really feel you need it, ask God for divine ideas on how to get it. Surrender to move at his speed and not at your speed or the speed of your friends. <laughs> Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Oh my goodness, many people are companions of fools and they're suffering because of the lifestyle of their friends around them. So, so surround yourself with the right people. Number, uh, number, number three, use a budget to track your expenses. Use a budget to track your expenses. Some people really struggle living by a budget. But a budget is not supposed to limit your freedom. It's actually supposed to help you focus in finding your freedom. A, a budget is not supposed to keep you in bondage. It's designed to keep you free, to help you be disciplined to find your freedom. You will never become wealthy if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Ah, spending more than you made. You can't become wealthy that, that way. And, and last year, I remember talking about several good apps that we use, that, that I recommend to people that you can use to track your monthly expenses to create budgets. And I love it because there uh, are different ones. There's so many choices. There are some that are graphic for those of you who like pictures and you don't like seeing too many numbers. There are others that are much more. You can even use a spreadsheet if that's what you're more comfortable with. Uh, the one we use, my wife and I, it's called Home Budget and I recommended that before. It's, it's one that allows both of you, if you're a couple, to input uh, your expenses. And sometimes we even get our kids to help us. If I'm too busy, I'll get one of my kids to help me input my expenses. And basically what this does, it helps us to notice whether we are overspending. It helps us to be able to stay focused on our goals. And it even helps us to rejoice when God is good because sometimes God blesses you and you're not even aware of his blessings. You must be the master of your money before the master entrusts you with more money. Proverbs 27 verse 23, King Solomon again, he has so many wise things to say about money. He says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Be, give careful attention to your herds. Those days, people, their, their wealth was in flocks and, and herds. But today, it's your bank account. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. And then the last tip, develop a long-term perspective. Develop a long-term perspective. You know, when I was 20, I thought anyone over 40 years old was about to die. Like, I thought they were so old. Like, they can't have fun. Tell your neighbor, you're not about to die. <laughs> Yeah, you're not. I, I love, there's a blessing that I love in, in, uh, in Deuteronomy that Jacob gave to, to one of his sons, Asher. And he says, the bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze and your strength will equal the number of your days. I love that. You know, at 50 and at 60, you will still have a lot of strength to enjoy your wealth, to enjoy a good lifestyle. And, 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 and here's the most important thing. If you do it right, you can begin to create a generational legacy now today for your future descendants so they will not be friends of poverty your grandchildren will not be friends with poverty proverbs 13:22 says a good person lives an inheritance for his children's children but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous ask your neighbor are you a good person because <laughs> i mean basically you again your, your expenditure shows whether you're god's enemy or whether you're god's friend are you a good person uh, when you build wealth by patiently saving by putting aside and retaining you will have time to teach your children how to make and retain money. And this is a beautiful thing. Remember, a consumer mentality makes me God's enemy. I want you to remember that today. A consumer mentality makes me God's enemy. So what are the results when you, when you, when you practice the retention principle? I can tell you this from experience. There are margins and ease. Margins and ease. Margins is when you always have more than you need and you're not living on the edge. 
When you have financial margins, you're not, you're not stressed. You're, you're, you, have, you always have extra whenever something comes up. And as a result, then you have ease. You're relaxed. The, the, the financial margins means that there's no stress if your salary was delayed. There's no panic when the business deal takes longer to come through than it should have. There's no crisis that causes you to feel like you have an emergency. Even when things are difficult around you, you always have enough to meet your needs, to manage the emergency, and to be generous to others who are struggling around you. Now, next week, we're going to be looking at our fourth principle. And it's one that you can only practice as you begin to put the other three into place. And next week, we're also going to do something special. We're going to pray for your investments, your, your, your business deals, your business ventures, your career opportunities. So I'm going to invite you as, you, as we meet next week for Sunday, uh, prepare, come, come with a symbol of those things, whether it's your job uh, application, whether it's your investment statements, whether it's your business registry, whatever it is, a tender that you're applying for, just come with a document that symbolizes this. And we're going to pray uh, specifically for God to just multiply those things. Uh, and also remember to invite friends. Make sure you share this video with friends, get them to watch it. Uh, get them to understand so that you can make sure that your friends are also growing along uh, with the rest of us as God begins to help us to manage money well. My prayer in sharing this series is to see Mavuno becoming a center of prosperity. That's my desire. I see this church becoming a center of prosperity. And, and the writer of the book of Acts, he said in the first church, God's grace was so powerful at work among them that there were no needy people among them. For from time to time, those ones who owned lands and houses, they sold them and brought the money from those sales and put at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had, a need, who had needs. That's God's desire for his church. And this is my prayer that over the next few years, for us as a movement, that we will work towards that place where we build one another up, that God will raise in this church kingdom millionaires and kingdom billionaires. Uh, come on, somebody. Not hustlers, not people who are living from paycheck to paycheck, but people who are passionate to use their wealth to lift up others and to bless their generation. Let me conclude with a little story. You know, in my trip to Nigeria early this year with some, some of us from this church, we came across a church that is putting up an incredible building. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be the largest church building in the world. It's going to sit 120,000 people. It's built like a stadium. I mean, it's one of those, it, it just looks like the stadium in Cape Town, one of those, like a really beautiful uh, building. Uh, but what struck me the most about this building is when we learned that it had been fully funded by six members of the church, six families of the church. They came up to the pastor and they said to the pastor, pastor, don't bother fundraising for this. We've got this. Come on, people, I see that in your future. I see, I see this in your future. I see you funding God's kingdom. I see you blessing many people around you. I see the poor being blessed because of you. I see orphans and widows being provided for because of you. I see God's kingdom advancing in your generation because of you. Listen to me. Don't become an enemy of God. Allow your resources to show that you are God's friend. Practice this retention principle. I want to conclude in prayer. Allow me to pray for us. Father, I thank you for your people. Thank you for the privilege of bringing your word to them. I want to pray for those who are in debt in this place. And I pray that, Father God, this, this series and the series we've pre preached in this church before would convict them that, Lord, they would, they would trust you. <laughs> they would trust you and stop trusting their own thinking, leaning on their own understanding. They would get into process of getting out of that debt Give them wisdom, grace, and divine ability to do so. I pray for those who are not, not in debt, but they've already begun building their emergency savings. And I pray that, Father God, you'd give them ease and acceleration. 
I pray that, Lord, they will be able to, to celebrate at the end of this year and say, my goodness, I actually have resources put aside for a rainy day. I pray for those who are not in debt, already have their three to six months savings in place, and now they're growing and multiplying their wealth. And I pray for wisdom and wealth increase for them. That, Father God, they will demonstrate wisdom, your wisdom, to a watching world. And so I bless you, God's people, now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and God's people say it together. Amen. Amen, amen and amen.